Well, hey, thank you so much, friends, for joining us for another episode of A Third Way Podcast, where we are exploring the tension of following Jesus in a world that just wants answers, in a world that wants black and white. We know that there's a lot of gray area out there. Uh, And so what we hope to do is to model conversations where we can meet each other, even if we disagree or whatever that might look like. We just hope to engage in conversations and ask better questions. Uh, And we hope that even through some of the episodes that you've heard already, that these have spurred on some conversations for you and people in your own specific communities, that maybe you've had your own conversations with that. Well, today we have a special episode. I love how spontaneous Carrie is. Uh, I live in, in California, in the Bay Area of California, and Carrie lives out in northern Kentucky, Cincinnati, Ohio area. Um, and so she she emailed me the other day and she said, hey, last minute I sat down with one of my friends, Michelle Graham. She's a pastor. Um, she's a peacemaker. And I thought this would be a phenomenal follow-up for the Drew Jackson conversation that we had last week. We dabbled in the doctrine of discovery, which was something new for me, and maybe it was new for you. Um, and so she said, this is actually the person I had the conversation with uh, a year or two ago. Um, and I just think it would be a good follow-up for that conversation. A lot of people had some questions. So I thought, man, this is phenomenal. Thank you. Send it over. I'll edit it up and we'll, we'll post it this week so people can get their hands on that as well. So I was listening to it this morning in my car and I regret that I was driving. I didn't even get to take notes. It is phenomenal. They they talk a lot about peacemaking and what that means and how it doesn't mean what we want to think it means in culture today. Uh, so I know this episode was challenging for me and I believe it will be for you as well. So we're going to dive in with Michelle Graham. We hope you enjoy it. But real quick before we do, uh, we are a new podcast. Uh, you, If you are with us from the beginning, you know this is episode three. We would greatly appreciate it if you would hit subscribe, if you would share these episodes with your friends on social media or however you guys interact, we would love for that. Um, If you have any questions about these episodes, feel free to email us. You can find our emails on the Newground Network website. But uh, let's get into this episode today with Michelle Graham. Hey friends, welcome back to A Third Way Podcast. I'm thrilled to be sitting here with my friend, Michelle. Uh, she is a pastor at a covenant church and we've been friends for years, right? Yeah, long time. Yeah, I got to do our ministry together at Willow Creek for mm-hmm. several years and mm-hmm. pastor there. And I know we share um, sort of a, a heart for peacemaking work. Yes. You're engaged in that globally and locally. Tell us a little bit about just what that looks like, what that means for you and what that looks like for you. Oh, well, I mean, that's been part of our friendship, too, is being on (laughs) experiences together that further that. But I would say my heart for that began decades ago when I was in ministry with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, the collegiate ministry. And we were really pursuing um, what does it mean um, to care about justice issues in the world as a follower of Jesus. And mm-hmm. that it meant we couldn't be blind to the racial dynamics and the history of our country and how that affects can, what does community look like in the church and what does forgiveness and repentance look like, you know, in those issues and what does Both it like mean individually and, and corporately. Okay. And what does it mean to understand how you were in it together, like including your gender and your ethnicity and your family of origin and all of that and um, to celebrate that, but also Mm -hmm. own the really dark pieces of that. So, you know, that was part of my experience in university for decades to learn about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't even, I didn't have the language of peacemaking Mm -hmm. until you and I went on our trip to Israel, Palestine together in, Mm -hmm. what was that, 2015 or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, really started to think about those issues, one, in more global terms, Mm -hmm. but also in relationship to what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Mm -hmm. And what did Jesus mean by being a peacemaker? Mm -hmm. Um, The kingdom of God meaning, you know, the bringing of what God intended, shalom, Mm -hmm. into the world. Mm -hmm. And And I'm seeing like the vessels of yes. yes. And the goal, like if I'm a follower of Jesus, it means that wherever I'm serving him, in my house, in my church, in the community, in the world, that I would be actively trying to bring shalom to those places. 
Hmm. And that includes racial dynamics, but it's way bigger than that. Sure. I know, um, you know, we can have a really nice definition of this word peace. And I know you and I talk quite a bit about, (laughs) I mean, even defining what does that mean to be a peacemaker? I still don't know that I can fully articulate that right now. But um, you have a a bit of a term talking about lambs. (laughs) Talk to to us about how many of of people that could be listening, how we think about what peace means. Yeah. Well, we tend to. We were just in a conversation once, and I was like, I think it's been lambified. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? And I had this picture of like, you know, those Sunday school Jesus paintings where he's a little lamb on his shoulders, and it's the nicey, nice Jesus. And um, and so if we're just nice to each other, Mm -hmm. and if there's peace, you know, if we're making peace, it just means like you know, no conflict and everyone's just nice. Yeah. Like that. Kind. Nice, nice yes. not kind. Because nice. that's the fruit of the spirit. But nice. <laughs> it's like this Christian niceness we mm-hmm. think is supposed to be part of mm-hmm. our faith. And back baked into that could be don't speak up because that's right. gonna rock the boat and make this Lack of nice conflict. environment. Yes. Right. Okay. And what I'm learning is like peacemaking means going into the places that are dark that are raging with conflict. It means facing truth that is hard and going into where the bullets are flying mm-hmm. and you might get hit by a bullet. I mean, That's maybe. not a lamb picture? No, <laughs> like that's not, <laughs> that's not a like, oh, nice little lambs. We're all just, you know, mm-hmm. um, very. Frolicking in a field. That's what <laughs> right. the picture that comes to exactly. mind. Yeah. Exactly, so I think we've lambified what we think peace is or what peacemaking is Mm -hmm. and so then what happens is we're in a context and all of a sudden you know gender butts heads or you know ethnicity butts heads or someone brings up something that's true about our history or about you know racial dynamics or hard hard things and we're like wait a minute this isn't very like this isn't what the church like isn't that politics or isn't that that we don't understand that this is... Or that's history, it's not relevant, yes. or... Yes, mm-hmm. like, let's just talk about the gospel, quote-unquote, and we don't realize that um, those are the very moments where Jesus calls us to, like, be present mm-hmm. and bring his shalom, his mm-hmm. redemption, his healing, his, what he would call, restoration mm-hmm. into those places. Mm-hmm. And that's peacemaking. Mm-hmm. It's really that, that, that is actually the gospel, yeah. right? That is the good news, yeah. is the reconciliation of those things. Exactly. It was interesting when you were talking about sort of going into the dark places or the heart. I immediately went to, gosh, what does that look like to do individually? What, is that, what does that look like to do mm. interpersonally? And then just on my own, to go to those places in my own heart. Mm-hmm. And you're somebody that I've learned so much from in this world of peacemaking. And I think that's because you're somebody that's entered into that mm. in your own story, in your own heart, in the parts of your own life, so that you, it's almost like you're now equipped to navigate that out into the world <laughs> because you've done that. But talk to me about kind of the two internal world and external peacemaking. Yeah, we've talked, you and I, some about the the inner world of a peacemaker, that there has to be congruency. Like, um, I, I could be this, like, radical voice, against injustice in the world but if i'm not also um a peacemaker in my inner world mm-hmm. in my own issues with jesus in my own personal relationships in my family in the way i interact with co-workers if i'm not acting out the kingdom of shalom mm-hmm. is that too churchy no okay. no uh, define define shalom yeah yeah so shalom is a hebrew word um, that we don't have an equivalent in English for, so it's kind of hard to define. Okay. That's why it's hard to define. Okay. But it's this um, sense of all things being right as God mm-hmm. intended. Mm-hmm. So we equate issue our words like peace and prosperity and um, wholeness and um, abundance. Yes, like mm-hmm. things being right as mm-hmm. God intended. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's what that's what God's about in the world. Yeah. Basically, we broke it. 
Yes. <laughs> we mess things up. Mm-hmm. And that took three pages of the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole rest of it is God's rescue mission to restore mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the word shalom encompasses. Mm-hmm. That, so, uh, I like to talk about the redemption and restoration of all things. But right. that, I mean, it, it boggles my mind, Michelle, that he chooses to use us as the vehicles in it's which to through which to do that. I mean, obviously through the power of Jesus, but he yeah. chooses us to help accomplish that mission in the world. It's mind boggling. He uses broken people to heal broken people mm-hmm. and broken things. Mm-hmm. It's, it doesn't make sense. It's a glorious does. mess yeah. In, yeah. My own, in my mind. Yeah. Um, I, I want to maybe tee this up for a second. Maybe it doesn't go anywhere. We'll see. But I was just talking yesterday to a young leader who is sort of, I guess he's an influencer in the younger generation. He's investing in them. And we were talking about how sort of the up and coming generation is really passionate about activism. Yeah. And so I think we, we were excited to take the next hill. But something sort of gets lost between that huge, that thing we're all running towards. And then, but what does that mean for me? Today. Uh-huh. What does this mean today? What does it mean tomorrow? So speak to just the gap between here and there. Hmm. Say more about that question. Uh, what would you say to young people that are really fired up? Like if if you were going to speak into their activism, mm. you know, everyone wants to, whatever the big thing is that hit in the news, Yeah. you have to post about it on social media. Right. If you don't, perhaps you don't even care about that. So we have this sort of online activism that in some cases really leads to real life boots on the ground work. Right. And in some cases doesn't. But if there are young people passionate about peacemaking, what would you tell them about how they choose to live mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. or this week? Well, I think... I think there's an assumption that peacemaking is about voice and it is about voice. It is, you know, it's important to know how to use your voice. Mm -hmm. However, it's not just voice. Like if I post or if I, you know, say that this thing or show up at a rally, all of those things are really important for voice. Mm -hmm. But it's, I think it's easy. Maybe this is what we were talking about a minute ago. It's, um, it's easy, I think, to um, not ha- see how that needs to be congruent with who I am as a person in mm-hmm. my daily life. Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, the way I'm treating my neighbor <laughs> matters. Even you don't like? Yeah, I mean, it w- I may not even know them. That matters. Does mm-hmm. it, ma- you know, do mm-hmm. I even know my neighbor? Mm-hmm. Do I, um, so we might get really fired up about a, larger national issue Mm -hmm. um but not ask the question what does that mean like in my regular daily life Mm -hmm. and are those things congruent am i the person i am Mm -hmm. um you know when i wake up in the morning Mm -hmm. and interact with real people and go to the grocery store and yeah go to class or whatever am i that person there that i am online yeah are those the same people yeah yeah online that's great Uh and in my home with my kids yeah. and in my neighborhood and, and yeah. on a platform. I know you have and, a platform as well. Okay, so maybe this is not what you're asking, but I also feel like we've also lost our way in terms of what it means to have a voice that invites others to join us. Mm, say more about that. So I think we made the mistake that um, calling out injustice is just about having like a prophetic word, like this is wrong. And there are lots of, I mean, we need that. We need to do that. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there's whole books of the Bible that are prophetic voices calling out what is wrong. And, mm-hmm. and that voice needs to be there. But um, if we only think that, if we think that that is Enough. all there is to do, mm-hmm. um, I think we've missed it. If we aren't creating a, table that invites other people mm-hmm. to come to mm-hmm. no matter where they're at mm-hmm. on this issue or whatever issue you're talking about so um there's a quote by Ruth Bader Ginsburg that I love and I'm probably gonna get it wrong but it has some something to, it's like fight for the things you care about but do so in a way that invites others to join you mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. as you're talking about this I yeah. almost have this image of like present day the sort of prophetic 
at least within the church and within culture, can feel like somebody walking around with a sledgehammer. So it's totally. knocking buildings over. And yeah. I feel like there's this invitation. If you're truly going to be a peacemaker, you've got to have some rebuilding tools in your tool belt as well, mm-hmm. not just the sledgehammer, right? Mm-hmm. Because there is, I, this may be a strong overstatement, so correct me because I know you will, but it almost feels like if you don't have the energy and the passion and the wherewithal to be on the rebuilding side of this, I don't know yeah. that you have much influence to speak into what's broken about it. Like, I, totally. I have a strong sense of, like, don't just come to the table with your words, but come to the table with your actions and bring your checkbook along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're willing to, your willingness to risk yes. or get dirty or um, sacrifice mm-hmm. or, um, you know, cross the street and mm-hmm. <laughs> be at somebody else's table where you're yes. not in charge. Yeah. You know, those kinds of things. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I could talk about peacemaking stuff um, and even kind of further define my own vocabulary for a mm-hmm. lot of this mm-hmm. when I talk mm-hmm. to you. Uh, one of the specific reasons I wanted us to have a conversation, one of many, is a previous interview we did with my friend Drew Jackson, who's a pastor out in New York City. The I, the the concept of Doctrine of Discovery came up, yeah. and he mentioned it, and it was sort of a passing comment. We were talking about ways that racism and you know ethnic injustices in our culture are still very prevalent and present, not just the repercussions of them, but there, there are still systemic injustices now. And uh, a friend of mine was like, oh, how do we learn more about the doctrine of discovery? Mm-hmm. Help us learn more about it. And so I know you and I had a conversation at a small gathering of peacemakers we did in Florida yeah. earlier this year. And I got to learn about how you learned about this. So yeah. I just want you to tell us, what I is just, the doctrine of discovery? I just learned about this in the last year to myself. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was taking, um, I'm taking seminary classes mm-hmm. right now. And so I was taking a class. Uh, where we were talking about um, how does the church engage with injustice in the world and the narratives of different communities um, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and what you know what their narrative has been mm-hmm. and different communities being uh, di- ethnic communities. Okay. Yeah, so okay. um, we were in Denver and we learned about some of the Native American history there and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just learned about the doctrine of discovery. In that class, okay, and so I have to say, if it's not already obvious, I am no expert on what this is. <laughs> but you can give us real people language yes, and real try. people understanding. I will try. Yes, yes. Um, there's a great TED talk. Am I allowed to mention that? Sure. Okay, we'll link to it on the podcast. Yeah, there's a great page. TED talk that's real short and really good by Mark Charles. Okay, on the doctrine of discovery okay. and um, how that relates to our constitution, actually. Mm, so okay. I highly recommend that. Actually, anything Mark Charles and the doctrine of discovery. Okay. I highly recommend. Um, so the doctrine of discovery happened centuries ago okay. um, in Europe and back. Back during the time when the popes had a lot of political power. Mm-hmm. And so there was a papal bull, which is really just a way of saying... A new decree? A decree by the pope. Okay. Yes. A, popal, De- a pope decree, pa- papal, papal yes. bull. Yes. Okay. Um, in 1452, I believe, okay. um, that uh, was in... That was sent to... Uh, it had something to do with Portugal okay. and like the royalty in Portugal that were ruling. Mm-hmm. So Portugal wanted to colonize the world, and the Pope wrote this mandate that essentially said that if you are not a white European Christian, that you were essentially subhuman. And Wow. That gave the church the right to go into any place that is occupied by anyone who is not white European Christian hmm. and take the land and enslave the people. From this one, this document, yes. this mandate. I know it sounds wow. crazy, but even like the actual language of it mm-hmm. says you can invade, search out, capture, vanquish, subdue reduce their persons to perpetual slavery, convert them, and use anything they have for profit. Mm. Those are the verbatim Mm. words of this Doctrine of Discovery. So we hear that and we're like, whoa, that's super messed up, right? Mm -hmm. And that's so long ago. So that actually led to 
the um, not only the colonization of the free world <laughs> mm. and to the quote, discovery of the Americas by mm-hmm. Columbus, mm-hmm. Um, which even in and of itself is um, supremacy language. Mm-hmm. How do you discover something that is occupied by somebody else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't discover it, you take it. Well, and just really candidly, you know, I have small kids now and I have been wondering, like, what are we teaching them yeah. about American history? Because I look yep. back on what I learned and how idealized some of these things that yep. are atrocious yes how they were taught in this idealized way and I I as the Lord has been breaking my heart for issues of injustice I have a new lens to yeah. bring to some of these things and so it's helpful for me to fill in the fill in the gaps yeah. of what the actual history was yeah. that helped us get here yeah the doctrine of discovery also is what led to the um, Atlantic uh, slave, slave trade, trade. yeah okay. um, of the peoples of Africa and um, eventually became part of um, the language of the founding of our nation. So mm. um, it um, made it way it made its way into the court system. So mm-hmm. as early in the even in the early 1800s, um, the doctrine of discovery was used in court rulings as reason wow. for what we were doing with the land and the native peoples. Wow. So. Here's the thing, you hear about the doctrine of discovery and you're like, wow, what a wicked, wicked past we have. But we have not shaken the doctrine of discovery. And it has been cited, um, it was cited in 1952. And it in has, our Supreme Court ruling system. In our Supreme, actually it was cited as, as recently as 2005 wow. for a Supreme Court ruling. I believe that one involved um, a native peoples in New York and the question of whether or not a piece of land could be taxable by a city in New York. And Mm. um, the lower courts ruled in favor of the native peoples Mm -hmm. and the city appealed and appealed and appealed and it made it all the way to the Supreme Court. And um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg quoted the doctrine of discovery and ruled in favor of the city. Wow. Um, This is 2005 that we're still thinking this way that um, the native peoples who lived here were only given um, the right of occupation, mm-hmm. like a fish occupies water. Not the right of not ownership. Not the right of ownership. Okay. And the doctrine of discovery is what gives um, people the right of ownership. So, wow. Um, it's, it's an ugly past that still affects us today. And I've been thinking a lot about this in terms of how this also has affected the church. Hmm. And um, I think this way of thinking, I don't know that we would ever cite the doctrine of discovery, sure. right, in the church. Sure. But if we think about maybe the history of the church's um, mission around the world, mm-hmm. how we've treated um, other cultures with an attitude of supremacy, that mm-hmm. um, instead of giving them the seed of the gospel, we give them the already grown plant from our soil mm. and say, this is what it has to look like for you. Huh. Um, or even, I think, um, I've wondered if it has been part of the way that we have thought about um, the conversation around women. Mm. And there are, there are places in the church where women are not allowed leadership or teaching unless it's in foreign missions, which essentially says, huh. if the, the women are not um, allowed to teach our <laughs> our men, mm-hmm. but um, the brown and black men of other places of the world, that's okay. Wow, that's fascinating. Right? I mean, isn't yeah. that essentially the message? Yeah. And so I've just been thinking about, like, how does this thinking still permeate the church today? Mm-hmm. I think it's been in the water for so long that we're not even aware that it's there. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I think b- before we can ever move towards action on um, any of the things around us that God calls us to, we have to raise our awareness. Like mm-hmm. that That's always the first step. And so mm-hmm. this was really insightful for me, even just to begin to understand as a component in yeah. the larger narrative of what we're experiencing. 
there's been a new term that's maybe I'm late to the game and it's not a new term, but the idea of whiteness as a construct Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is something that I'm hearing about more probably this last year. And it's interesting in different circles how people receive that word, right? Because some people are yeah, like, loaded. yeah, totally. And so I'm, I'm curious if we can unpack that a little bit <laughs> to, to perhaps help people just understand what, to unpack what that means. Because yeah. whiteness isn't you are white. Whiteness is a broader construct, right? That's multiple um, heritages. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Where it eliminates actual ethnicity and makes a broader category of people with white skin. Right. Yeah. Because okay. if you look through the history, I mean, currently, if you are of, say, Irish or Italian descent, you would probably be considered white. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Today. Mm-hmm. That wasn't always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the closer your ethnic group is to when the mass, um, like the mass groups of you immigrated, the closer mm-hmm. you are to immigration, yes. um, the less white. <laughs> yes. The less white you are considered. Yes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, when you first heard about this, I know when we very first unpacked the idea of the Doctrine of Discover- Discovery and some of what you had learned about the early Native American people and the land that you spent time on, yeah. I mean, what do you do with this? So an average pastor yeah. or church leader or... Maybe somebody that's gotten disenfranchised by the church. Anybody, but maybe our moms that are listening to us right now. When you when you hear this, I think immediately we want to move to this is wrong. What do we need to do? How do yeah. we fix this? Or we move to shame. Yes. Which can be paralyzing. Mm-hmm. And I think we have the op- the option to either respond with defensiveness mm-hmm. or like with a posture of learning. So what would a posture of defensiveness look like? Oh, well. Give us a, give us a picture, even of yeah. the things that could be welling up inside. Sure. And then about the opportunity Well, to I think um, it's easy to go individualistic and be like, well, I didn't do these things. Like, mm. why am I personally, as an individual, held accountable mm-hmm. for things I didn't do? Mm-hmm. Um, but that ignores the fact that I, as a white woman, still benefit yes. today from these broken systems Mm -hmm. so i'm um i didn't create them Mm -hmm. but i there's a a weight in figuring out how do i steward you know the benefit or the power that's given to me because the system is leans in my direction well and um just to that point the it would be easy to fully check out and say, I didn't do this. Yeah. But the fact that we are complicit in it to some degree is, I think, I think that's the tension to navigate yeah. and to explore because, I mean, that's the the easy way out is yeah. to say, I didn't do this. I benefit from this. So in some way, I am involved. That doesn't mean I made this decision, right, right for right. us to do this. But, you know, I'm 30%, I'm 20%. You know, like, we're, I'm, I'm in some ways, I'm 70%. I am complicit in yeah. contributing to this. Which means I carry some responsibility to contributing to the yeah. other side of this. Yeah. I think it, it, whether I benefit or not as well, that if it is still existing in the world, mm-hmm. then I am my silence would make me culpable. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, as Jesus invites us to be peacemakers and mm-hmm. shalom bringers, mm-hmm. um, whether or not I benefit from a, um, a structure that's broken, mm-hmm. It that's almost almost irrelevant to the calling that Jesus gives yes. us, right? Yes, yes. I'm glad you clarified that because yeah. absolutely, yeah. Hmm. So we could respond with a posture of shame or yeah. judgment in it, yeah. or with a, a posture of learning. Yeah, I think. I mean, if like right away when I learned about the doctrine of discovery, I went home and said, "Gosh." I live on land that didn't used to belong to my people. Hmm. Do I know that story? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no was the answer. Yeah. I don't know the story of the actual like grass that I walk on every morning to go to my mailbox. Wow. I don't know that story. Yeah. So maybe that's a place to start. Do mm-hmm. I know that story? Mm-hmm. Um, are there still people like... The other question is, like, how are people actually suffering today because of the doctrine of discovery? Mm-hmm. People are still suffering. And do I know how? If mm-hmm. I don't know that answer, then 
it's time to be a learner about that mm -hmm. and hear the narratives of other people that mm -hmm. may be different than mine. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Um, where do we go from here in terms of next steps? When I, I mean, if somebody could hear this, we we unpacked briefly with Drew Jackson. Um, I, I referenced this racism report that okay. I had read several years ago in Chicago. I had um, been home for Thanksgiving and had some people that I was close to challenge, you know, that racism was still a act, an active issue or that there were active consequences mm -hmm. or, um, today in our culture. And so, and you know, the idea of affirmative action came up. We talked about that with mm -hmm. Drew. And so I went back and I wanted sort of proof. Like I, I wanted to understand and to be able to be informed, to be educated, to be able to talk about this. And so there was this like 90 page racism report that Chicago came up with of, uh, ways that, you know, just a generation before people that, uh, people of color that could not get a loan from their bank to buy a home, how that impacted yeah. sort of generational wealth yeah. and yeah. how there were different punishments for crimes based yeah. on different drugs. One of them was a predominantly white drug and one of them was a predominantly black yeah. drug. And so the, when you look at, you know, crime rates and you look at, um, our prison system and so I think that's the piece of it is understanding first there's an awareness of how yes. these things are still active. Yeah. Any of those that you want to jump in and talk about? I know that you have some thoughts and experience with several yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll just say, like, I think, I think there's a mistake when we start talking about racism to, again, go individualistic and think, like, mm -hmm. am I nice to people? Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. I'm not hateful to anyone that I'm aware of. Like, mm -hmm. I am not I Like, I'm not part of this discussion. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's not even just a propensity. There's almost like a cycle, right? When, yeah. when these conversations go up, there's almost step one, step two, step right. three, right? And the first step tends to be shame yes. or self-judgment yes. or rationalization. Or justification. Justification. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Or um, people will use the term colorblind, like, I'm colorblind, I don't see color, which actually isn't helpful to people. I mean, mm -hmm. it's essentially saying, like, I don't I don't see you as a, I, you know, as who you are. Like, mm -hmm. if I'm getting to know you, Carrie, like, I would never say, well, I don't ever consider you a woman. Like, that's the weirdest <laughs> thing I would ever say. Yes. You are definitely a woman. Yes. And to know you means to know, like, what it means to you to be a woman. Yes. So to be colorblind is kind of... Um, Saying, like, I refuse to see how God made you mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and what your story is. Any of the story that comes yes. with that, the um, the hardships that could have come yes. with that, the beauty and yes. the diversity that that yes. brings to my And the gift that you might uniquely bring to yeah. the community. Like, sure. I'm not also not seeing that. So sure. that's sometimes a response. But anyway, I think sometimes we go individualistic like that with mm -hmm. our response. Um, so I think one step is to just... Um, notice that there's also systems and structures like you were just mentioning mm -hmm. of like, um, you know, statistics about, you know, traffic stops and um, and like the laws and mm. the the penalties for different crimes and mm -hmm. um, how jury selections work and how voting works and, you know, access to voting and all kinds of things that are put in place. Um, that still are unjust. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I'm guessing um, was on your mind when you asked me is um, I've been doing a lot of learning lately about mass incarceration mm -hmm. and I grieve. I really grieve over what I've been learning, not just the statistics of um, how many, many, many um, men and particularly men of color or women of color that we incarcerate today. Um, mm. It is basically our, our current form of slavery mm. and the way that we not only um, um, treat our incarcerated peoples, but essentially the rights that we take away from them for the rest of their life, even if they've served sentences. Um, their inability to get parole in certain, like the state of Illinois doesn't even have parole. Wow. That's not even, an option in the state of Illinois. Wow. Um, and how our prisons are essentially like there's a whole private prison system that is 
a money-making endeavor Hmm. and it is dark and it is evil Hmm. and um, last year I was able to take one of my seminary classes inside of Stateville Correctional Center with men on the inside and so this became personal for me Mm -hmm. you know it was no longer about statistics but about um, the men who became really dear to me as humans Mm -hmm. and men who love and laugh and are brilliant and smart and funny and kind and thoughtful and respectful and who love Jesus and want to learn and Mm -hmm. um and it rehumanizes you know, mm-hmm. the other mm-hmm. <laughs> for me mm-hmm. that, so we're not just talking about, um, this generic population of yes. faceless people yes. anymore, yeah. but they're real people with stories and hearts and families and, um, longings and mm. redemptive possibility. And, yeah. um, we throw them away. Mm. Um, give us a little bit of insight into some of the, I know you, you talked about how powerful it was to personalize it, but yeah. um, things that were shocking that you're learning, I know you're still mm. in the midst of learning some of this about the prison, the yeah. mass incarceration, incarceration. You said the almost public trading of the resources when it comes to that. Yeah. Like there's a whole really evil, um, like financial side to the prison system um, I believe there is a certain amount of money a prison will make if someone is in there longer than a certain number of days. Mm-hmm. So that actually affects sentencing of people. Hmm. Um, a little bit like, you know, we joke about our kids and their attendance at school and mm-hmm. the, you know, the school won't get their money uh-huh. if my kid's uh-huh. not there. Uh-huh. And so that's why they don't want them to have a dentist appointment in the middle of the day. Right. Yes. And yes. sometimes that's necessary. Sure. And so I'm like, well, I'm sorry, school, you're not going to get your money. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in a much more, um, in a much darker way, that's mm-hmm. also happening in our prison systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also um, our prisoners, are, our prisons are completely like self supplying um so it's like they're like slave labor to provide all of their own like anything that is needed in a prison the prisoners themselves make or create or they cook they so the state is paying this private organization a certain amount of money yeah and prisons are making a whole lot of money yeah and they're not necessarily outsourcing resources and services they're sort of forcing people internally the the prisoners to do this yeah yeah and i mean cents cents a week they make these prisoners Um, wow yeah um i remember as well like one of the things that was just eye-opening to me about interacting with some of the men on the inside is that um, there were days where I want to say it was like once a month um, they get to go to the what do they call it like the store inside Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. Um, and if you missed your time you missed your time and so they wouldn't come to class on the day that they needed to go to the commissary commissary thank you Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and I was like I mean, just tiny little basic things of like being able to buy a pen, a notebook at the you know commissary. Mm-hmm. Um, they get a window once a month where you know that's all they have. I I think I I I think the other thing that really blew me away is that when I went into Stateville, I expected to be um, very aware of being a woman there mm-hmm. and afraid. Mm-hmm. And intimidated and um, the men in my class gave me more respect in that class than I have felt in most churches Wow um, yeah. they noticed if I hadn't wasn't speaking up they mm-hmm. wanted to hear my voice they wanted to learn from me they um, I, I felt so seen and appreciated Mm-hmm. and um, respected mm-hmm. in a way, like completely opposite than what I was expecting. I wow. thought I would be, yeah, you know, um, need to be like really afraid and self-protective and, yeah. um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's totally. not at all what I experienced. I'm curious, just because I wanna, uh, I'm, I'm thinking through somebody who would be listening to this, yeah. and I want to see if you can help 
talk about the importance of humanizing some of this right. because so um, I have a good friend who's in our church who is a former maximum security prison guard and yeah. so his responses to a lot of things that I'm passionate about tend to be on the total other sure. end of the spectrum. He's one of my favorite people to sit and have conversations about yeah. gun laws and about just all of these things because we, <laughs> we view the world through such different lenses. Right. But I could imagine somebody listening and being like, well, they're criminals, so they should only get one hour a week mm. in the commissary. Mm. Or, you know, like they're, we are so quick to be able to dehumanize yeah. in that regard. So just just speak to that. Where does that come from? Or what would you say if we were having if we if we were engaged in that conversation I was like, but Michelle, they committed crimes. So what what does it matter if they you know Yeah, well, okay, first of all the difference is not just that they committed crimes, it was that they were caught at committing their crimes. So mm. huh. Okay. Or they were accused of committing a crime. Mm-hmm. Like so um, you know, our view of the in- uh, prison system today assumes um, assumes that our justice system works yes. flawlessly. Yes. Right? I love that you said they were caught because not every crime I committed <laughs> is just running through my mind. Well, right? Sorry. Yes. Okay. I mean, how many? Yeah. I mean, or right. accused. So that assumes our yes. justice system is working. It assumes that the justice system is impartial, mm-hmm. or is? Did I say that right? Is yes. Impartial, yes. yes. I or is that back- partial? Correct. Right. Yes. Yeah. I want okay. to make sure I didn't say that backwards. It assumes that where, you know, anytime you have um, other humans mm-hmm. deciding what they think about something they weren't there for, mm-hmm. um, based on their impressions of you, mm-hmm. <laughs> and what is or isn't allowed to be said in that room, mm-hmm. th- there's no way that's impartial. Yeah. You know, we as humans are are always partial. Absolutely. Um, especially in a country where, um, you know, the very constitution that was set this whole thing up um, did not consider anyone but white male landowners to be fully human. Like, women aren't even mentioned in the mm-hmm. constitution. Yes. <laughs> right? So if that's the foundation, how do we assume that a jury of our peers is going to be impartial? Um, so anyway, what I'm yeah. saying is... Yeah. It assumes that our system is impartial, which mm-hmm. it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are plenty of people um, who, for whom, like, I met men in, in my class who said, you know what, I did what I was accused of. Mm-hmm. And yet, they are the only humans who are being defined by their worst moment for the rest of their lives. Mm. And I would hate to be defined by the, my worst moment mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. Um, that I could never fully repay or um, yeah. escape that label. Yeah. And we do that to them. Um, that's, I think that's inhumane. Yeah, absolutely. And with the, the lens of being Christ followers, they are our brothers and sisters. Yeah. And this idea that we belong to one another. Yeah. This was a part of the ancient sort of tradition, right? The communal way that mm-hmm. people lived, even when we read throughout the Old Testament, that we we don't have a handle on, right? Yeah. This idea, like, that's your problem. But that's not actually true in the grand scheme of things. With the Christ lens, right? We belong to one another. Exactly. Your kids are my kids. Or if my friend with a different skin color than me, kids are being treated differently. That is my issue. Right. How did we get to this place of not recalling that we belong to one another? (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't know if I know the answer. I think it began immediately. You think about um, the very first family, right? Mm. Cain and Abel and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the brothers that dehumanized one another mm-hmm. and you know the first murder right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so from the beginning of time God knew that we would turn on one another and not yeah. see the image of God in one another and it's been, that's been true of the human story from the beginning yeah uh, I'm curious if you have any kind of last bit of insight or thing to reflect on. Most of what we talked about are things for me to actually go away and think about more yeah. than many for me to go away and do right yeah. now. Yeah, right? Yeah. I'm going to find that TED Talk and we'll link it to the podcast resource <laughs> page. And, um, yeah. and I want to continue learning about these things. I, I was sitting with someone way smarter than me this week who was talking about the idea of conservatism being 
building towards a better future based on the good things from the past. And this wasn't like political conservatism necessarily, just the idea that we want to build things and build organic change based mm-hmm. on the good from the past. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of contrasting that with like anar- anarchy, which okay. is <laughs> like, let's just burn it all down and rebuild. <laughs> Um, I, I, I can some days not have hope for either one of those mm-hmm. being an option. So yeah. what is it that keeps you, keeps wind in your sails or keeps you fueled for the idea of peacemaking, keeps you um, not just learning about these things as you're continuing to expand your mind, you're expanding your heart and you're caring about these yeah. things too. So give, give us something there. Yeah. Um, I tend to go to um, the way like the upside down kingdom of Jesus and Mm. how things work, Um, how he tells us that things work and um, the way to be first is to be last, you know, some of that upside down Mm -hmm. stuff. And so the way forward, um, I think in some of peacemaking um, is not to be an expert. Like we think, We think we have to be an expert in order to like engage with these things. Mm-hmm. Wait, the way, we feel like we should be because these yes, things are like I have to be an expert. Very nuanced, super heavy, yeah. lots of history to understand. Yeah, so that can be an easy way to check out too. To say exactly, it's intimidating. Mm-hmm. But the way forward is not to be the expert; it's to be the learner. Mm. It's the upside down. Mm-hmm. Or um, you know, the way forward is not what feels. Um, uh, like would be, how do I say this? I think the, the way forward is the unexpected. So mm-hmm. um, pursuing what I naturally would not pursue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So who is sitting at my table? Whose stories yeah. am I listening to? Um, am I willing to go into communities and places and um, living rooms mm-hmm. that I wouldn't normally sit in? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just recently, my family and I were traveling internationally, and um, we pulled over on the side of the road, and there was this, like, strip of, like, um, they call them kiosks, but these little, you know, shacks on the side of the road. I'm picturing the building in Syria that you're... you're so, right no, now, like, the these are habitat, habit, oh, okay, you know, okay, habitated, yes, whatever. Yes. These are, like, shacks on the side of the road, but I'm like, kids, we're getting dinner. And they're like, What? I'm like, trust me, this is going to be the best food of the whole trip. And it was. Oh, Right? Yes. It's the yeah. upside down. It's the, like, what you don't expect, mm-hmm. but you learn to find Jesus there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the way forward. So yeah. maybe that's still very, like, mm, you know. No, it's good. There, and I think even if we were to take it even one more to say, when I hear you say that, I'm like, oh, what, what prevents me from moving towards the other? Or what prevents... Yeah. Um, people that I know that I wrestle through these conversations with from going into the home of someone who, you know, is, is of a diverse background mm-hmm. or diverse experience or diverse so- socioeconomic status or, you know, what is that? And, and maybe that's the lens or the mm-hmm. bias that we carry. And so maybe even one piece of sort of a next step is to, to do some internal work to say, yes. are there ways that this broad history and some of these constructs and frameworks have eliminated nuance or have given me an inappropriate lens that I'm viewing people around me or the world around me. Yeah, I would say, so there, let me, let me rephrase this. I think you can move forward in like with your brain. Yes. So there's things you can go read or, you know, TED Talks to watch or like go do some learning. Yes. (laughs) So move forward with your brain. Yes. You can move forward with your heart and push into a relationship that you wouldn't, like, that may have a narrative that wouldn't be yours. Mm-hmm. Um, We're good. Okay. Um, so is there a way that you might risk relationally? Mm-hmm. Um, ask somebody their story that you've never asked before that might mm-hmm. surprise you and mm-hmm. just listen. Mm-hmm. Like and watch for those cynical responses happening inside of you, yes. right? Um, so maybe you need to move forward in, with your heart or you maybe need to move forward with your hands mm. and do something active, like go on a trip. Come with us to Israel and yes, Palestine. To right Israel and And see what something like this in all of its yeah. complexity can actually yes. be. Yep, go, um, go visit um, a prison. You know, there are like so many churches that have 
prison ministries, call mm -hmm. somebody up and be like, can I come with you? Mm -hmm. I just want to come and be a participant, like be a mm -hmm. learner. Like I want to experience this. Mm -hmm. Go find an experience that's going to push you. Go to the border. There are tons of ministries right now that are serving at the border. And instead of like getting your information from Facebook or whatever news mm -hmm. source you're reading, mm -hmm. go there, mm -hmm. meet the people. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you need to move forward like with your feet and your hands. Yes, yes. And you know, of course, I want to just tell people to prescribe, here's what you need to do. But I think that's different <laughs> yeah. for everybody, right? Yeah. Of, it might be your hands and your feet, it might be in your heart. The the number, the, the ways that we can just day in and day out live our lives desensitized yeah. to some of these things, right? We can walk into our homes and not necessarily have to see them or deal with them. Yeah. Um, at the core, I mean, that is our privilege that allows us to look away from injustices around us, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's in our city. Uh, we, we just talked about issues in our city recently. Uh, when, when Mark and I moved there to pastor this church, we wanted to know what are the evils in this city? Like what is the mm. darkness that our city is facing? And yeah. we were shocked that heroin addiction and sex trafficking are the top two issues facing our church and as, or facing our community. And as a church, when we started talking about what does it look like for us to not just care about us what does it look like for us to be aware of these and what does it look like for us to engage these issues to yeah. bring wholeness to bring redemption and restoration and reconciliation to these areas that has been fascinating the number of people that are saying i had no idea that these things were happening i had mm. no clue that this kind of stuff was going on in our backyard and so i, I think that shows how easy we can sort of you know pull into our garages and shut the yeah. garage door and if we truly have that gospel understanding of our calling to partner with God and the mm -hmm. redemption and restoration of all things we cannot allow ourselves to feel comfortable mm -hmm. in that space absolutely any final closing thoughts I know you're a published author and I know you're batting around the idea of publishing another book. So yes. I'm going to say that publicly okay. so that that has to live on forever. <laughs> now it's out there. I'm sorry if you haven't told your mom yet. <laughs> but um, any ways that we can keep up with your work and your learnings, follow you on social media. Sure. Okay. And we'll link to the TED Talk and okay. any other resources you have about this conversation. Let me know and we'll definitely. Yeah. Well. Yeah. If the part on incarceration really was interesting, I really recommend the book Rethinking Incarceration. Okay. Um, it's an university press book. Um, Dominique, his last name starts with a G. I okay. Remember That's it. okay. I'll get yeah. the link from you. We'll link Great. it on the podcast resource page as well. Great. I look forward to diving into many more conversations like this with you. You yeah. are a well of insight and not just the head knowledge, but the heart understanding and you carry the heart of our Jesus. So thanks That's so much for sharing with us. Carrie. Thank you. <laughs>Well, thanks again for joining us today. We hope that uh, this episode was filled with so much uh, truth, so many nuggets, maybe some things you hadn't thought about or thought about it in that way. Uh, we hope that you were encouraged. Um, like I said, share this podcast with your friends if you've been encouraged by this. Um, don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date. If you have questions about this episode or any other episodes that we've done, feel free to go on our New Ground Network website. You can find that on Google and uh, just email us, drop us a line, and we would love to answer them and get in touch with you. So thanks again.